Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 512. That's a question. I should look at my records. I'm joined by James Acaster this week, and I know you're going to be very excited about that. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm one of the first people he talked to about his album. And again, we discussed the fact that a lot of you are going to hear me say that and go, all right, cool. I've got no interest in an album from a comedian, a music album from a comedian. Hear us out, man. Hear us out. We do talk about that. This is one of my favourite conversations I've ever had had with James because his excitement and, um, yeah, it's palpable. He's just, he's just, he seems to be in a great place. We talk about social media. We talk about James being in the new Ghostbusters film. We talk about Celebrity Hunted and we talk a lot about his new album and it's a buzz. So, um, yeah, you're going to enjoy it. As ever, we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com and patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pips. You can get your teeth into everything over there. If this is your first time tuning in, I, I talked to James years ago on this podcast. Six years ago, maybe. So that's a great episode. He came on for a drunk cast during lockdown. A lot of people missed those lockdown Zoom drunk casts, but they're gold. Me, Chris and Stu, James Acaster and Ed Gamble getting hammered. It's a five-parter, and I thought it was going to end on episode four. And towards the end of episode four, James goes, Oh, I've just opened a new bottle of wine. So we're definitely doing another episode. He regretted that choice, so go back and listen to those episodes. I've had James Acaster on, I've had Ed Gamble on. We talk about John Kearns in this episode, I've had John on recently. We talk about, do we talk about, well I've had loads of people on, I've had Lou Sanders on, I've had Ashlyn B, Catherine Ryan, everyone, everyone you can imagine really. People we do talk about, we talk about Open Mike Eagle, I've had, I've had Mike on. I've had Kaylin from a wheelchair sports camp on. We talk about Kaylin a bit. That, in fact, I've I've recommended a load of episodes here. If you go and listen to one episode off the the back of this episode, go and listen to the wheelchair sports camp episode because it will blow your mind. It's so good. Yeah, let's get into the podcast. This is episode 512 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the man, the myth, the legend, the mercurial social media sh- shunning icon, Mr. James Acaster. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. I'm here with James Acaster. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited about this chat because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that I've not really heard you talk about anywhere, which is always exciting. And I'm always excited to talk to you. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But, you know, people often want to ask a lot of the same questions. Um, But we're going to talk a lot about your new album, which I'm incredibly excited to talk to you about and nerd out about. And I'm really excited for people to hear. I'm going to warn you now, James, I think a lot of people will go, oh, he's going to be talking about his new album. I don't really want to hear about that. But I think they're going to be surprised. <laughs> so, so I think yeah. there's a lot for us to get into. But before we get into that, I had John Kearns on my podcast the other day. <laughs> yeah. And in the intro, I say he's also really good on films to be buried with. And on the day we'd recorded it, he was on Off Menu. So I said, that'll probably be good. Immediately after I'd listened to that episode of Off Menu, 
And not only is it my favourite ever episode of Off Menu, <laughs> I think it's as good a podcast as I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. How good is John Kearns? And how much do you enjoy just playing and poking, getting the best out of John Kearns? You know yes. the buttons to push and when to let him just yeah. go off on one and when to pull him up. I love John. I mean, I think most comics absolutely love John and have done for years and are yeah. delighted that more people are discovering him now through Taskmaster, which he was excellent on. And uh, we were just very excited to have him on the podcast and knew when it's someone that you've known for a long time and you know that you can't wind them up or piss them off, you can't actually annoy them to the point where <laughs> yeah. they won't want to do the podcast anymore. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you just know that you can push certain buttons. I mean, there's a moment on the podcast where I go to, even for I go too unreasonably aggressive on John, even though it's John, and, and, and Ed has to go no 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 roll it back a little bit, even though it's John and we know him. Yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's yeah. Not it's on the water course, James. Yeah, it's on yeah. the water course. It's literally at the start that Ed has to say, "Let's chill a little bit on." <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> trying to wind John up. But uh, yeah, I, I loved. I mean, you know, I haven't listened back to many episodes of the podcast because I can't stand listening to myself. But um, that's one of the few episodes I've listened back to because I remember how funny it was in the moment. Mate, it's so good. And <laughs> when I had him on my podcast, again, I like I like it when I get to have conversations with people that I've not heard a million times on other podcasts, if you know what I mean. Because th- yeah. that is something like, I remember having the first time I had John Ronson on my podcast before it came out, I heard him tell the amazing stories he told me on like five different podcasts yeah. in the weekly. And I wasn't the first one to put mine out. So I'm sitting there going, ah, shit. It's still going to be cool. It's still yeah, going to be yeah. good. But like, me and John spent 20 minutes talking about cadence. Because <laughs> yeah. you know I'm a nerd for comedy. And I think John's cadence are like, him and Tim Key, I think, are two that he can start any sentence and I'm on the edge of laughing already yeah, because yeah. of just the way he talks. And yeah. with John, it seems intentional, the the pacing and the slowness. With like, for example, a Joe Thomas, you're like, I don't think he's got any control over this. I don't think he's aware. And I don't know if he knows that this is ending on a joke. But with yeah. John, at least, it feels like the cadence is completely intentional and it's, yeah. oh, it's a joy. John and I regularly text each other. We've got um, a notes <laughs> document on the notes app uh, on John's phone of um, funny words and we all just text each other a funny word to add to the document and <laughs> often it's words that people wouldn't think of being funny so just words like yes we think the word yes is funny so that's in the document yeah. um, <laughs> thank you is in there so like you know like stuff like that and every now and again I'll text him and go add this to the doc please and then he repeat he adds it to the doc and then sends me the full the current document so I can read it back and see if it's all still making me laugh. So, yeah, he appreciates cadence and words and how they work in common. Yeah, I'd, I'd made, because me and John have never met, so I'd made a note, I really want to talk about cadence, but I thought, let's see how we get on first. Let's yeah. see if I feel that's going to go anywhere. And as soon as I brought it up, he talked about it for about <laughs> 10 yeah. minutes before I even came back with, yeah. It's always game. Let's go into this. Well, I want to talk about, loads of stuff and originally I was going to get the other stuff out the way first so we can then sink our teeth into the album but Mm -hmm. I'm too excited to talk to you about the the album so as a note in case we don't get to it I do want to talk about acting I do want to talk about celebrity hunted (laughs) and I do want to talk about podcasting and all these other things but you've got an album coming out yeah, and you sent it to me and I've not told you this but I broke the rules and talked about it briefly on a Twitch stream. 
okay. Because I was so excited. Because I think I went in with higher hopes than, than most people are going to sure. go in with. Because it's yeah, yeah. comed, it's zany comedian yeah. James Acaster has made a serious album. Yes. But the first time I came to your flat after we'd recorded a podcast, you you played me some of your old music and stuff, and it was all legit. So I know you've genuinely got this history, and it's a weird one with you and music anyway, because your history in music has become a punchline and an ongoing yeah. joke because the names of the bands are, are funny and mm. the genres are funny. So when you played me the stuff, I was like, oh, no, hang on. Outside of the funny names and this being a joke, you were mm. serious. Like, this is yeah, a serious yeah. thing. So I went into your album with higher hopes than, than most did mm-hmm. and it blew me away. Like, it was better than I was expecting. And I, no, as said, I... I, I knew you'd be doing something interesting. Tell me a little bit about like how it all came about. Because again, I've got a little bit of an insight there because you hit me up about one of the collaborators on it. And yeah. Or tell people what the record is, for starters. Yeah, it's like it's basically a massive collective that I formed during the pandemic, uh, bit by bit, person by person. There's 40 people in the collective. There's not 40 people in every single track, but across mm-hmm. the album, there were 40 people. And it started out with me recording a load of drums for what was going to be a mockumentary about me sidestepping into music and taking myself too seriously as a musician. That mockumentary got cut short because of the pandemic. It wasn't going to happen, but I had hours of drums recorded. And in the lockdown, I just started sending those drums to musicians who were also in lockdown and it was originally not going to be an album. It was just, let's just do this to keep ourselves from going crazy. And the longer the lockdowns and the pandemic went on for, the more it just built into something and became all I was doing. So every day I was emailing musicians. I was having Zoom calls with musicians. I was making the tracks on my laptop, going for my daily walk and listening to the album, deciding what I wanted to change, what I wanted to add, contacting more people to sort those things out. And yeah, now it's actually ready to be released. So this is like from lockdown one all the way through to now. And it feels surreal to actually be putting it out into the world finally. Yeah, and it's it's an album. I was listening and my first thought after a few songs was like, this is an album I feel like Pitchfork will like. And, and big confession here, Pitchfork hated my shit. <laughs> they gave what? one of my albums, I think it was 0.5 out of what? 5 or 10 or something like that. <laughs> And it's like we turned it into this big, big joke and we've always rallied on it. But yeah, there's some amazing collaborators on there. I just got like a zip folder. So I don't even know everyone that's on there. I don't know the tracks. I recognised Quell Chris and Kaylin from Wheelchair Sports Camp and things like that. So tell me about a few of these collaborations. Because again, these are rappers that are incredibly credible, but also really left field. Like if... For anyone who's not heard my distraction pieces with Kaylin from Wheelchair Sports Camp, it's one of the best episodes I've ever done because I've known Kaylin a little while and we've mm. gone back and forth, but I didn't know anything about the levels of protest, of rebellion, mm. of of anarchism. I knew about her skills. I didn't know that, for example, she's got a favourite r- roller coaster that every <laughs> time she goes on, it breaks some of her bones because of her disability, yet yeah. she goes on it every year and deals with the injuries wow. and recoveries because she's like, it's a sick roller coaster. It is what it is. Like, she's mad, but she's an amazing rapper. She had a song called Yes, I'm a Mess that I put up there with my favourite rap songs of all time. I think it's astounding. Yeah. So 
start with Kaylin. How was it to work with her? I assume, as you say, everything was over email, which is weird. How many of the people on your record have you ever met? Man, like one, two, three, four, maybe four. So like 10% kind of thing, if that. So yeah, Kaylin, I, I could have like featured Wheelchair Sports Camp on my podcast, um, Perfect Sounds, because of their 2016 album, No yeah. Big Deal, and, and how much I loved that album. And I listened to that album a lot, really loved her rapping. And there was, the way I do all the songs was that I just build, build them up bit by bit. And I'd always listen to them and think like, what do I want to hear on this song now? And for that song, I'd already got Quelle Chris singing on the first half of it. And I just wanted a change in vocal style. I, I wanted distinctive rappers and distinctive singers with personality and character throughout the whole album. I didn't want someone that could have just been subbed out for anyone else. And she's so distinctive. It was a, the kind of beat I'd never heard her rap over that kind of song before. And I, that was a big part of it as well, is that I wanted to put people with instrumentals they wouldn't usually be put with mm. necessarily. And contacted her about it. I think because uh, the producer of the music podcast in the end had like contacted her to try and sort out some of the, the songs for the for the podcast. And yeah, just like immediately got on really easy to like, you know, be on the same page as each other. Uh, she really liked the instrumental. And actually with her um, verse, she recorded a vocal demo onto her phone um, with the laptop playing in the background and sent it to me and was like, something like this. I was like, yeah, cool. She's like, I'm, I'm going to book some studio time and go in the studio and record yeah. it properly. Because I'd get excited. So I kind of like put the vocal demo like on top of the track proper so that I could listen to it on my daily walks and see how I felt with it. And I just loved her delivery on the on the demo so much. And I was like, Kaylin, if it's all right with you, I just want to use this demo. And she was like, are you sure? It's, like, it's pretty weird the way I'm talking because I'm not like, I'm being a bit lazy on it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I really, really love it. And I think that it suits the track. And if, if it's okay with you. That's like the opposite of mine and Dan LeSac's relationship when we were recording. <laughs> he'd always get annoyed that he'd send me like a rough version of a beat. Yeah. I'd write the whole song, send it back, saying, I like, don't change anything. And he's like, that was the start of the beat. This was meant to be for you to get a vibe. But I'd be like, no, 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 I'm yeah. I'm on it. But that excitement's valid. When that hits, it's oh. got to be like, let's make this work. And Kaylin, to describe Kaylin's style, I think she's in that ODB kind of style where mm -hmm. she will just go off at weird paces and weird, again, weird cadences, just yeah. the flows that she will pick. And the comfort, I, I think there's a little bit of, of Lil Wayne in there that mm -hmm. she just feels so comfortable on the mic or and on yeah. a beat. It's like there's no, there's certain people, I mean, I'd put myself in there. I'm really intricate. I, I'm mm -hmm. really like, I'm, I'm worried about it being here and doing this and doing that. Whereas it feels like, as you've kind of said there, Caelan will just play it on a, a laptop and record on her phone and it will just yeah. sound like the best thing you've ever heard. And she'll just be like, well, so no, good. that wasn't really it. That was, <laughs> that was just me fucking about. It's like, no, it's... Yeah. yeah, and she did do a studio version, and we used it in the background in this like eerie way in the background. So we were still like, yeah, you know, uh, very much part of the like ethos of the album was to use every bit of the animal and for and, yeah. uh, for, and don't waste anything. Yeah, but the ODB reference actually is interesting because like that's how I kind of saw it. Sometimes was like, what if Wu Tang? What if every member was old dirty bastard? And yeah. let's kind of look at it like look at a project <laughs> like that of like yeah. e everyone's Andre three thousand. They're all the eccentric one. And see how that sounds. And 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 Quelle Chris is a great kind of a balance to that because he's been doing amazing stuff for years. This kind of 
lo-fi rap, like laid back, esoteric, loads of stuff with Gene Grey, who I think is one of the greatest mm. of all time. Loads of stuff. I don't know if they are connected, but but I definitely put him in that kind of world with Open Mike Eagle and mm-hmm. Milo and all these kinds of of rappers that came up that feel like it's this stream of consciousness stuff that's so again fluid and mm-hmm. natural and there's loads of tracks from all of those guys that I adore and then I'm like so so what's that track about again I'd always get mm. in my head as a writer of, of, of what's this song about what's the meaning that all have songs that I adore that I don't know what it's about mm-hmm. I don't know what the meaning is and it doesn't matter and I'd aspire to get to that level of comfort to go no this is just a song I wrote it's mm-hmm. not like oh this is the one that's about politics or this is the one that's about this it's like I'm rapping it's a mm-hmm. rap song and yeah he's <laughs> yeah, a master yeah. of that so how did that hook up and I need to tell you I can't remember I told you at the time Caleb reached out to me to kind of go do you know this James Acaster guy he's like a comedian and that right and I was like no no he's legit as well yeah he is that but honestly I vouch for him he's legit if you're feeling it then go for it because it it must be weird for particularly American rappers who their main reference of you will be to go on on Netflix Mm mm-hmm and look at your comedy s- specials. And your comedy specials yeah. are particularly that trilogy. It is a character. Mm-hmm. It is a very white, <laughs> uptight yeah. character. Yeah. So to, to watch that and go, oh yeah, I've just had a beat off this guy. It's, it, a lot of people are going to go, I yeah. don't know if I want to beat off this guy. But yeah. when they obviously hear the music, so you had to win people over, I'd imagine. I was so lucky with that, with like everyone who was like, every first choice of mine said yes. Yeah. And no one let on that they were thinking like, no, I don't know about this. But like, I, I was very kind of like, you know, going into it, like early days, Seb Rockford had played drums on it. So mm-hmm. that had already happened before the pandemic. Yeah, John Dietrich was already on board from Deerhoof and, and had wow. done the instrumentals with me, along with jo- Joanna Gamila and Leia Velez, who were locked down in Barcelona together. So like, that was kind of the, the, the core kind of band originally. And you still got credible people there and Quelle yeah. had said yes from day one because Quelle and I, back in the day, back when I was on Twitter, had um, tweeted about each other, like, coincidentally on the same day. Oh, wicked. And then everyone was like, oh, you guys have just uh, tweeted about each other, so maybe. Because he was doing some an animated project. He does an animation as well as rap yeah. and production. It's one of the things about Quelle and Jean yeah. and all of that lot, that they're all so they will apply themselves to anything they want to apply themselves to. And that's always yeah. hugely inspirational. Like, from for my career, where that's always what I want to try and do. And you will be experiencing this with the music stuff because mm-hmm. you're established somewhere else. It's not easy to go... Again, the fact that this project started as a mockumentary about you doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, that yeah. shows the discomfort in taking yeah. yourself seriously as a musician. Because it's like, well, yeah. let's make a joke of it. But yeah. then you got to a point, maybe because of the lockdown, as you said, and all that, but it's kind of dope that you got to a point where you can go, well, maybe let's not make a joke about it. Maybe let's be comfortable with the fact yeah. I'm doing it, it's, this. Yeah, it, it's there. It speaks for itself. I get to be happy and proud about it. But yeah, like when Quelle was doing an animated project, he was watching my stand-up and I was listening to Everything's Fine yeah. by him and Gene. And it was like my album of the year. And I tweeted about it being my album of the year. Again, another album that completely ignores genre. Yeah. What what a record is even. It's like, no, yeah. this is, j- just put it on and listen. It's its yeah. own world. It's so in- in- inspiring. It's incredible. And uh, he just tweeted back at me going, 
let's do something together. So obviously I DM'd him in like, yes, please. And um, and then I <laughs> I did a, uh, a like a monologue on Guns, his album Guns, uh, at the end of one of his songs. And then I did like a uh, a few lines in the intro to Innocent Country 2, the next album. I'm the, and, I, and I wasn't, I'd sent him loads of stuff for it and I ended up being like the first voice you hear on that album and I was extremely pleased when it came out and I was like, oh, that's me straight away. How many people hit you up confused about that though? A like, few I people. Get hit, I get hit up all the time because there's a voice that sounds really like mine on a Run the Jewels track. And because <laughs> like, I know Mike and LP a little bit, yeah. people assume it's, it's not me. It's funny. But I get it. I, I, I've now heard it and gone, oh yeah, that does kind of sound yeah. like... <laughs> Like it's me, yeah. but that must confuse people to go. I'm sure that's James Acaster. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of I, friends, a lot of comedians. I, I, I like hearing me. Ed's say "Kazoo, yeah, you can." You go, <laughs> hang yeah. on, is that? Yeah, but, it shouldn't but be. But a lot weirder, a lot yeah. more obscure. A lot of people are going, "How the how the fuck have you ended up on a Quello Quest track?" Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, he, he loves Mock the Week, and they're like, "No, <laughs> ser- seriously though, <laughs> seriously why?" It's like that is why. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, going into this project, like. Quelle was like, yep, I'll do whatever you need. And like, let me know. So I, I was like, when I when I was emailing artists and trying to get them on the album, it helped to be like, Quelle Chris is on it. John Dietrich of Deerhoofers on it. You know, and, and that mm. like immediately was a bit more That's legit. That's two extremes of credibility as well. Like yeah. Deerhoofer as legit as you can get in the kind of instrument-based world yeah. and Quello Chris is as legit as you can get in the in the left field rap world. So yeah. that's two dope people to have on there to say, this is a proper record. It's not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not playing a joke on you. Yeah. This isn't yeah. a prank. Not a comedian <laughs> doing a funny bit and yeah. you don't yeah. have to. And I was lucky that everyone kind of got it as well. Everyone, I mean, a few of the musicians anyway are people who use humour in their music. So it's kind of, it is present. Quelle does, mm. Namdi does, like Yoni does, like, so uh, Wheelchair Sports Camp does, like, so... It, they're always kind of like people who are open to being funny, but don't see it as, oh, I'm doing a comedian's album, so I've got to be funny. So everyone just mm. kind of like did it like they would do any album, which I was very grateful for. Because, you know, sometimes you're worried that people are going to send their stuff back and it's goofy, jokey stuff and going, oh, I thought you were wanting to do a joke album because you're a comic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the or, same time... Or, or Hannibal Bress on, on sure. Open Mike Eagle's album. <laughs> yeah, he raps yeah. his ass off, but it's comedy. It's comedy yeah, rap. Yeah. And Hannibal can rap like a motherfucker, but so can Mike. And the reason that worked... Is Mike is well versed in humour in his music as well, yeah. so it, it sat nicely. But that was very much his comedian Hannibal Barrett doing some funny raps, and yeah, yeah, I'm glad that that didn't land that way with your record, I guess. Yeah, there's a few people who like definitely put references towards like comedy and laughter in the lyrics that aren't mm-hmm. jokes, but are just like yeah, they're talking about. There's like a whole chorus about having the last laugh and there's like open mic eagle saying, I'm guessing you probably heard that joke before. And it's like a bit, I feel like it's a bit aimed directly at me because mm-hmm. uh, he sent mm-hmm. it to, you know, to me first. And like, so th- there's a few, there's a few bits on it where they're kind of referencing comedy, laughter, jokes, but they're not making, you know, jokes themselves. And uh, yeah, I, I felt so lucky that they all said yes that they all really bought it as well and didn't just go, yeah, mm. there you go, comedian and whatever, uh, and sent it to me. And uh, I was then able to play with it and they were so open to me, you know, like Kaylin being like, okay, yeah, if you would like the demo, use the demo, it's your thing. And they were all very trusting as well. So, yeah, it was a dream. And the trust and the freedom is a thing that really comes across. And again, it excited me because a problem I had in the past, back when I was making music, was I write songs in a very structured manner yes so there was points as an example 
I got a verse off Gets once, who's one of my favourite yeah. rappers, but it didn't fit with the structure of the song. It stopped like halfway through a bar kind of thing. Yeah. And I didn't have the musical maturity, or because I'm not the producer in it, mm-hmm. and it was all last minute, I didn't have a way of using that. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about this record is it felt like certain bits, you've got what you were given, yeah. and then you've gone with it and you've worked, and there's there's some there's verses that start in a weird point and things like that or end yeah. in a weird point and stuff like that. And it felt like you were... And again, I know it's a big collaboration, so I'm using you as a as a mm-hmm. a broader term maybe, but it felt like you were in the lab w- with all the parts and you're making a Frankenstein out of this. It's... You, yeah. A, 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 do you know what I mean? Rather than, I need eight bars from you in this section. It's yeah. like, here's the idea, here's the track. So how was that to kind of start to weave everything together, particularly remotely? You're getting things... Yeah. These guys aren't in the studio together either. So these yeah. collaborations are only happening w- once you bring them into existence, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, it was so exciting. And so uh, very early on, I had to learn, like, you do, you get what you're given and you work with that. So, like, yeah. you know, start of the lockdown one, I had drums by me and Seb, and that's all I had is, like, hours of drums. Yeah. And I sent them to Joanna Gamila because, uh, like, she's one of my favourite musicians. She's an amazing, like, all-round multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, everything. Uh, but her in- original instrument was double bass, stand-up yeah. bass. So I was like, right, obviously I've got drums, I'm going to go for bass next. So I'll send it to her. And she does like loads of improvising on her albums. So I sent it to her and said, just like, here's hours of drums. If you at any point hear drum beats that you like and you want to just improvise bass over them, do that, send it back to me. And I'm, I'm going to start from there and just mess around with stuff. And then a few weeks later, she got back to me and she sent back eight tracks. And she said, um, I didn't feel like doing bass. So I've done synths and vocals instead with Leia, who's living with me. So we just improvised that for a weekend. If you don't want to use them, it's fine. But uh, we had fun. Uh, There you go. So it was like these eight tracks with like lyricless vocals for the most part and synthesizers and completely improvised for like, you know, over 10 minutes each time. And I I just kind of sat down with them and was like, okay, I'm going to cut up what they've done, pick out all the bits that I really like and make these skeletons of songs with them. Um, and so this made these eight songs that were just like by cutting and chopping up and moving around what they had done and they sounded roughly like tracks and then I was like okay so now let's get bass so I Mm. sent it to John Dietrich and was like can you play bass on these and he was really enthusiastic about these skeletal songs and was like oh this is really fun and then he sent a very nice encouraging email which is what I needed early doors really and then he got back to me a few weeks later and was like okay i did bass but i also did guitars and keys and i've made some of the songs longer oh man i was really hoping he didn't didn't do bass and it's just a continuing journey yeah. just to try and get some bass on a fucking track <laughs> yeah never get okay thanks i did kazoo right yeah. wicked yeah that's ed <laughs> on kazoo yeah but yeah so it's very early like okay that's that's how i'm gonna do this is that i can be specific if i want and tell them what i need because i think that's helpful yeah. But they are going to do whatever they like. And some people, you know, some vocalists would be like, yep, I sang on that bit, but I also sang on this bit and this bit because I, I I felt those sections as well. So I did that and use it if you want to. If you don't want to, don't use it. And there's, there's a lot of that going on. And like I say, I just I just go for these walks every day. And if it wasn't working, I'd move it around. Sometimes, you know, had some vocalists who um, misunderstood what I'd asked them and recorded their vocals on a completely different part of the song. And I've already got someone else recording vocals for that part, so I can't have both of them on it. So I then like have to move their part to the bit that I wanted it on 
and like cut it up and move it around so it fits in with it. That was really gratifying as well because they've sung to a different bit, but like it somehow works with with this completely different section and feels completely yeah. different in that in that way. The song that yeah. Kaylin sang on, the synths on that, and the and Joanna's vocals on that, her backing vocals were to a completely different drum beat, and I just took them off of that drum beat and put them on this other beat that I really wanted to use, and it fitted and it worked and. Mate, it's, it can be one of the most beautiful ways to work. When yeah. Before I stopped making music, I was working on a solo record and I went into a studio with Travis Barker. Mm. I, I went into Travis's studio to get some drums off him and I'd put together a playlist. Like I had a Run the Jewels track in there, a, a Young Father's track, a load of good stuff. And I said, look, put this in your headphones and play anything other than the beat that's yeah. in the song. Yeah. And it meant that when we took it out, it's like these beats that have no relation to these original songs, but are amazing. Because, but they wouldn't have come together without that original guidance. But then, as I said, you take them out and put them somewhere else, and you've got this yeah. this crazy I thing. So, yeah, that's a beautiful way to work. And I'm I'm loving hearing this, and it's making me think of my days of working in HMV, and it was the peak of my musical hipsterness. Mm-hmm. And I remember a period of kind of talking to the guy around the jazz section and going, you know, everyone goes crazy about Miles Davis. Guys, I'm about to hate on Miles Davis. <laughs> how 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 hipster am I? I was like, everyone goes crazy about Miles Davis, but it's about the people he's working with and it's about uh-huh. the people he's got in the room and all this. And what the jazz guy there, Ross, would say to me is like, yeah, but he got them in the room. Mm-hmm. He was in a unique situation to put all these people together. So whilst he's not playing every instrument, he's not doing a prince, he's not doing every track, every layer. He's the conduit that made all this come together and then he led it and made it work. And that's what this project feels like. It makes me think as well, to bring it to bring it back to myself, the reason Distraction Pieces took off early on was I realised because of the weirdness of my music career, I was friends with DJ Yoda, but I was also friends with Alan Moore mm. and I was also friends with Ramesh Ranganathan. Yeah, and I, do you know what I mean? So I had this really weird range of people that I also knew some women, bizarrely, but mainly <laughs> it was men at the start. But yeah, and 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 that's why those things work. And you've got yourself into that situation too because you've become incredibly successful in your field, but you've been openly passionate in other fields. So it draws these things together. You've you've raved the things you're excited to talk about have always been music. So then that allows you to have access to all these people who. And again, a thing I learned really early on when I started working with the strange famous guys and the the rhyme sayers guys and stuff like this was us sitting here in the UK, these artists that we've heard on our headphones are the mm-hmm. biggest thing in the world. You go out there and meet them and they're playing medium-sized venues. They're trying to make a living. So mm-hmm. they're going to be excited if someone who's got a good following is raving about them, is pushing them to, them to a new audience. So you realise how all of these things are symbiotic and they do kind of thrive off of each other. The passion that you have is going to be received in an excited manner. So yeah, it's mm. beautiful that all these things have come together and you've kind of found a way to to to, uh, to create something out of all of it. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't have foreseen it i didn't know it was going to happen it kind of like accidentally happened but then you know like you say there was a lot of things in place beforehand doing the book and interviewing loads of musicians doing the mm. podcast and interviewing loads of musicians that i'd already got these kind of link-ups with people and all of them are people that i just think are geniuses that they're i've listened to these albums and because the music industry is so saturated right now 
not every single album can be this massive, you know, moment for mm. everybody. And like, and there's so many perfect classics, in my opinion, that don't really get discovered. But I discovered them through buying way too many albums from one specific year. And so there was all these artists that I was like, I mean, this person... I don't think realises just how incredible they are. And there's a beauty, isn't it? Yeah. Not to be, again, I know I look like the stereotypical <laughs> hipster, but there's a beauty in finding these things that are this beautiful, but not everyone has it. It's what I always used to think. Like I'd, I'd go to the Fringe each year, and at times I'd get quite sad because mm-hmm. I'd see a show that was amazing, and I would know that it only exists in that room for this period of time. Yeah. And because not everyone can get a DVD deal or a streaming deal, they're going to do a new show next year. Like Rob Alton, I always bring him up, but mm-hmm. he was always the one that it'd make me, I'd be kind of like, this is the most beautiful thing ever, but also the saddest thing that the whole w- world isn't exposed to this wonderful thing that only exists for yeah. one month. Yeah. You know, even at that stage, if you're not big enough to tour with it, it's like, you've made this beautiful thing that's there and then it's gone. And there's a beauty in that with music, that there are these these gems, these perfect albums that maybe don't get the audience that they deserve, but the audience that they do get. It's why it's why I don't like the term underrated. Because mm-hmm. with those records, those who do rate it, mm-hmm. rate it passionately. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, it's, it's underexposed completely, but mm-hmm. they're not underrated because they just, yeah, the adoration that you have when you hear those albums and you're going, I need to tell people about it. I yeah. need the world to hear more about these people. Well, it's why I did the podcast and, and the book is, is to let everyone know about these albums that I just thought were immaculate. And um, any time I'd hear about someone buying one of those albums because of me recommending it, just felt really great. And then for this album to then, you know, as the recording process was progressing, you know, I'd have to remind myself when I was listening to the song, you know, you are currently listening to a track that you've produced. Mm. And that's Seb Rockford playing the drums. That's Mal DeVisa singing. That's Namdi singing after her. That's John Dietrich playing all these instruments. Joanna Green is doing this. Like, they're all on this same track together. And having to kind of pinch myself a bit and be like, this is mad. Like, that is like, if I saw this track listing and this feature list, I'd just buy this without listening to it because, like, they're my heroes. And I'm actually getting to work with them and make this. And uh, they're all really knocking it out the park as well. It's, it's, it's how I heard about the record. I told you this. My brother hit me up going, yeah. I've just seen a lineup of the musicians on James Acaster's album. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. This is ridiculous. Because he's someone who will be, he will know every one of those artists and be like, yeah. how are they all in one place? So, yeah. yeah, that's a buzz. Well, you know, I like a lot of music, but you know, the thing that gets me excited the most is rap. Tell me a few more of the MCs who are on there. We've talked about Aquale Chris. We've talked about Kaylin. Who else is is on the record? So Denmark Vesey, who uh, mm-hmm. people don't know Denmark, uh, has frequently collaborated with Aquale Chris as a crown nation and like on some of Aquale's uh, albums as well. He's like, he's an amazing rapper. Again, in that esoteric, like cerebral vein of rap, um, really distinctive uh, voice. He's on two of the tracks. And again, like on the first, he's on the opening track on the album and kind of does a sung hook on it, which no one would really ever associate with him. I, I, I you know, I said, basically, you know, this section, do a rap here. And he was like, he got back to me going, so I, I did a sung bit to it, and my partner thinks it's good, so I'm sending you that as well. And uh, so he sent me a, a rap and a sung version, and I kind of cut them together. I, I used mainly the sung version, and then yeah. like um, one bar of his rapping to break it up. Um, and then on another song, uh, the third track on the album, he yeah he wrote like a, a verse and 
and the hook for the chorus. But I, I was in um, I was in Atlanta on tour and um, dropped in on. There's a YouTube channel that I love called Dead End Hip Hop, and yep. um, I dropped in on those guys and did a video with them and played them some of the album, knowing that you know they would have a lot of rappers on there that they loved. And the first track. When Denmark's singing, they were like, who's that doing that? And I said, Denmark Vesey, and they couldn't believe it was him. Because like, they were like, yeah. he would never sing that. Like, he never does that. And that's what I really like that, that people can like, you know, step outside their comfort zone and people who are familiar with these artists can see them in a different light. Um, Open Mike Eagles on the album on one track that's already been released as a single called Party Gator Resurrection. Again, I think one of the absolute best in the business. Yeah, right. he's so good. Next level. Yeah, yeah. And he was great, just like... Having a, having a Zoom call with him, talking about, you know, I sent him a few beats and he was like, I'd like to do this one. And he was saying, look, I'm just in a place at the minute where I just want, you know, straightforward 4-4 four, four beats and just to really like, you know, just flow with it and have fun with it. I was like, okay, good, because that's kind of the vibe of this song is like mm-hmm. about resurrection and and, uh, and coming back to life and all this. So like, he was very busy. So it took quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember experience a little bit of anxiety going like oh what if i don't get it and then what if i don't get open my kegel on the album because i was so excited about it um but of course he came through and it was brilliant and I, uh, I, I remember that exact same experience with a rapper called pos who's on mm. on one of my tracks let him come that thing of chasing him up and we're like, yeah 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 i'll get around to it and i'm not i'm knowing like he's not written anything so like, i'm trying to get some studio time i'll get some studio time and me thinking it's not going to come through in fact, doing a version of the track that was just me and Sage Francis, because it was meant to be me, Sage, and POS, but having a version mastered and ready yeah. to go, I wrote an extra verse to make it all work. And then last minute it came through. It was like, yeah, I got an hour in the studio. Like, here's what I came up with. <laughs> and it's one of the best verses I've ever heard. It's like, all <laughs> yeah. oh, right, that's just how it is yeah, with yeah. some of these rappers. It's just all they yeah. need is a little bit of time in the booth and they'll be... I mean, yeah, chasing people up is the thing of like, like you were saying earlier about maybe how they would have viewed me before mm. and being aware of that, being aware of being, you know, the whitest, nerdiest, most uptight <laughs> kind of like comedian. And then you're like, I don't want to be the guy who's going like, um, just to nudge you again, uh, do you have that verse? Because like, I was like, I'm just going to annoy... We do annoy, have a deadline. Uh, I'm just going to annoy these people. As yeah. per my previous email. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I was like, I don't want to annoy people, but at the same yeah. time, I do, I want to get this done. Yeah. So it was learning the art of when to nudge was a was a big part of making the album of of when to do it where it's like it's reasonable enough of like okay yeah it has been a long time he's not being uptight but also not leaving it too long that it just doesn't get done so yeah. uh, that was that was a big part of it Yoni Wolf is on is on the album Again, is on is another, on two of the tracks amazing rapper and someone who influenced just Yoni and all of that. Um... The load that came out, I remember getting the first Cloud Dead record Mm -hmm. and everything that came from that and that whole scene, the Anticon lot, was all amazing. In fact, I think you can do playlists of of podcasts on Spotify. When this album comes out, I'm putting this episode in a playlist with the Open Mike Eagle episode I've done, the Mm -hmm. Yoni Wolf episode, the Kaylin episode, because there's clearly so many people on there that, yeah, I'm a huge fan of. And Yoni's another one. Well, I'll tell you who else is on the album. Go on. John Kearns. John Kearns, really? On the first track, oh so part word. part of the uh, mockumentary that I was making, so we, we, we made a taster tape for the mockumentary Yeah. When, we were, when I was recording the drums. And the idea for the mockumentary was that John Kearns would play my comedy agent who was coming to terms with the fact that I was sidestepping into music and was trying mm-hmm. to convince me to stay as a comedian, but 
acting like he was encouraging me to be a musician. So he was in the studio when I was recording the drums and he came in for one of the drum beats and he was trying to like fake encouraging me. So it was just going like, woo, in the background and stuff. (laughs) And in the opening track, you can just hear in the background John's whoops. Um, Amazing. I was going to say I didn't recognise him or didn't, yeah, d- yeah. didn't hear him. So I was like, I was disappointed in myself, but that makes more sense. Yeah, in the, in the uh, in track, in the drum beat, there's there's some whoops and some, oh yeah, in the background. And you can just hear him. And that's John. So yeah, put the John Kerr's episode on that playlist. I love it. And y- Yoni is one that is a perfect fit for this kind of record because I genuinely think all that Anticon stuff, the why... The why with a question mark stuff, mm-hmm. um, even the cloud dead stuff was really early doors of pushing the boundaries of what is hip hop, what's indie, what's experimental, what's mm-hmm. jazz, all of these kind of things, all these crossover things that I think come across on this record. Yeah. So that's the most most logical fit of the lot there. That it's like, well, it, yeah. it would be weird if he wasn't on this record. It was my gateway back into listening to rap was yeah. was why and Cloud Dead. Because, like, you know, when I was a very little kid in primary school, you know, I was listening to uh, De La Soul and, mm. um, and rap like that. That was, like, I mean, it's still brilliant now. But at the time was, like, it had... I found it very accessible. I liked that kind of, like, 90s, 80s kind of hip-hop. And then 13, got into punk and metal, and that's all I listened to for, for years because I thought I wasn't allowed to listen to anything else. And then... Yeah. Um, I remember getting into like all the Anticon stuff and uh, especially Why. Really mm. loving Elephant Eyelash, still one of my favourite albums ever. And then I'd interviewed, so Yoni was someone who I'd met not via the book and the podcast. I'd interviewed him. I was doing a gig in Leeds on tour and Why were doing a gig in Leeds. And um, I just contacted them and said, can I interview you for a podcast? And I didn't have a podcast. <laughs> and uh, I just went and interviewed him. And I was trying out a format that would eventually become that FUBAR one that I did. So mm-hmm. I've put artists putting their iPods on shuffle, shuffle and then yeah, talking yeah. about it. So I was basically, it's the first one I did of them was with him, but it never saw the light of day because it's just me and him backstage. But, you know, I chatted to him via that. And uh, and then, you know, over the years, he contacted me. He saw my Netflix specials and then they did um, all of Alopecia in London. And uh, it was a day when I was meant to fly to the US, but then my flight got... I got cancelled. I, I couldn't go, mm. so I just went to the the Y gig instead, and he, and, uh, and 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 saw them live there, and um, like so, I kind of had this like little bit of a dialogue with him, and then I had a rule that even if it was musicians who I knew and had a relationship with, I'd only ask them if they really that it had to be them for yeah. a song, yeah. and um, there was just two songs. I was like. If it's not him, I don't think anyone else can do this. And uh, he really killed it on both songs. And and one of them is the final track on the album. And I think it was already quite an emotionally sounding instrumental and emotionally heavy instrumental. And he really matched that with his vocals. And um, I really appreciate that he did that. Again, it's like when people would put the amount of effort and time into their contributions to the album, I would just feel so overwhelmingly grateful Mm. that they'd actually... They're taking yeah, the time yeah, to yeah. do that for me and for the for the project. And uh, yeah, he really, he put a lot into that verse, I think. I love it. I, I love it. And I can't, as I said, I can't wait for people to, to, to hear it. How are you feeling about people hearing it and about it getting out there? And about that, yeah. as I said, that strange thing you're going to have to have because you are comedian James Acaster putting out a record. And that's weird. 
Yeah. That's weird. Any actors or comedians or whoever are doing music, even though I know you shouldn't, I turn my nose up at it yeah, a lot of I the do. time, even though it's been proven wrong. It's like, I'm yeah. still like, I'll have people r- 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 raving about, I'll say it, Matt Berry's music. I don't know Matt sure. Berry at all, but I've never really given it a listen because I'm like, he's the guy with the the funny voice. I love his comedy, but yeah. because of that, I've not given his music, which I know is credible and I know he tours and people yeah. rave about it. But because of that weird bias, I've never gone there. So, yeah, yeah how are you feeling about launching into the world? Well, I know that there'll be some people that that'll just be the case, that they they won't listen to it at all. And what's the name of it all? Are you releasing it as James A? Are you releasing it as a collective name? Yeah, so it's called Temps. So the group mm-hmm. is called Temps. Yeah. If you saw it in a record store, you wouldn't know. Yeah, maybe there'd be a sticker on it saying that, I think there's a sticker saying that I'm involved. But like, yeah. you know, the vinyl itself, you'd have to read the notes to know, okay, I, I produced it and I played drums it's on it. It's the balance, isn't it? Because y- yeah. you, Temps, you want the project to stand on its own two feet, but also... You've got a following. You, you've got a reach. It'd be foolish not to use. Do, do you know what I mean? Not to use mm. your audience or your the people that you could bring to it. So yeah, it's a weird well, balance. Uh, in the end, it was just because like, yo, know, I went back and forth on it a little bit, and uh, in the end, it was just what felt right and what felt honest. You know, the, yeah. the project isn't just me. It's loads of us. I yeah. couldn't even tell you how anyone did what they did on it. Like yeah. you know, I don't, <laughs> yeah. it's beyond yeah. my comprehension. So yeah. there's no way I can take credit for it. But I am a part of the story and I'm the person who organised it and uh, produced it and curated it. So like definitely kind of being like, yeah, I'm not going to completely hide the fact I'm involved just because I'm worried that people will go, oh, it's that comedian. Well, I don't care then. Um, But I'm also not going to put it front and centre just to get, you know, use whatever, you know, notoriety I've got in order to just sell the whole thing because I think that's dishonest and that's not fair on everyone else. So it was just finding just a reasonable... Uh, place to start and you know it it doesn't work like we've spoken numerous times sure. about the struggle you've had in or you've spoken in a million places the struggle you've had in comedy of becoming more m- mainstream mm-hmm. and bringing in an audience that aren't necessarily your audience at yes. times so that's the same thing you don't yeah. want to bring an audience who aren't going to be right for the record over to the record because it's like there's no gags on it there's no skits yeah. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. pop up and go by the way um, yeah. you know and and do, and do a bit so if you, if yeah, you thought I was funny on Bake Off it's yeah. not like you're going to like <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the track that I've done with a with a load of obscure rappers and uh, yeah. yeah so like I'm aware that some people just won't listen to it. Cause, yeah, I was watching something the other day and they were like and Jeff Goldblum was like a, a guest on a chat show and they were like and he's promoting his new album. And I was mm. like, instantly in my head, I went, shit, it'll be yep. shit. And I was like, James, no interest in that. You have literally just made an album that you're putting out and you're hoping people <laughs> will give a chance. And you've just. That's why I wanted to bring it up because you know, of my own prejudice. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, well, that's crazy. So I, I know that'll happen and that's it. Other yeah. people will be more open to it and we'll just listen to it for what it is. And you hope that, you know, word of mouth will then get around. If, if they're excited enough about it, they'll tell people about it. And it will stand on its own two feet a bit more. And also over time, I think it's for me, it's the kind of thing that I just think over time, it's going to find an audience gradually over the years, let alone just this year. I think it will be something that gets, has the potential to get passed around a little bit more. And it it might take a while, but I think it will become its own thing separate from me. Uh, But for now, I do want to make sure people know it exists. You know, releasing something is always the worst part of making something. I, I, I love, I love the making of it. And I love further down the line where I've made it and it, it it's already out there and it's 
like not mine anymore and it belongs to the audience. The bit where you're basically, you know, showing your homework to the teacher. I don't like that bit. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, that's always going to be the bit that's a bit tense. At the same time, I've been very excited throughout the making of this to for people to hear it. Yeah. So I am really looking forward to people reacting to it, you know, getting those text messages from you about what you thought about it really meant a lot to me. So, you know, I will enjoy that as well. And I'm th- really looking forward to holding the vinyl in my hands. And I was going to say, a, th- a thing I've always done with my record label, and I recommend this on your part, is we will go out and have the celebratory meal or whatever the celebration is, either when the vinyl arrives mm-hmm. or what we'll often do is when the masters and the artwork are submitted. Yeah. Because that's when we've done that's when we've done something, man. We've made this. Yeah. This is the bit. Not when it's released. We'll very rarely do a release day celebration or mm-hmm. a rev- get a good review or whatever else. It's like, no, the goal was to create this. Mm-hmm. So that deserves to be c- celebrated. It shouldn't just be a, all right, well, I've done that. On to the next thing. I wonder what I'm having, having for dinner or whatever. It should yeah, yeah. be going, fuck, how cool is this? Let's do something and celebrate that. But yeah, I'm always a big fan of that being in the artistic points of submission rather than the release to the public yeah. and waiting for everything and all that. Yeah, 100%. And that's like that's what I'm looking forward to. And like I said, I'm so, so proud of the album. I'm a fan of it because for a lot of it, even though I was making the album with these people, I still felt like I'm a fan of all these artists. They're yeah. sending me things that I can't comprehend how they've made them. I would listen to it every day. I feel like yeah. I've just got all of my favourite musicians to make my favourite album. You, you don't have to hear yourself. Yeah, it's the yeah. perfect project yeah, yeah. to work on. I'm the same. I hate watching myself and hearing myself. So yeah, yeah. most of the stuff I've ever done, I can't stand to look at. But <laughs> when there is all of my fa- all of the songs of mine I've listened to, I've I've bared listening to more than once or twice. Or when there's a collaborator, like hearing B. Dolan absolutely bury me on Soldier Boy with the best <laughs> verse. I've one of the best verses I've ever heard. Yeah. I love listening to yeah. that shit because it's not me. But, I mean, you've come on the perfect podcast to talk about this because if there's one thing that people want me to do on Distraction Pieces is talk to, to less actors and more comedians because <laughs> everyone's just sick of me being excited. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to actors, though, man. It's all I yeah. want to do. I think they're amazing and I'm <laughs> learning from them. But if yeah. there's one thing they want more than that, is to talk to more musicians because I never talk to musicians anymore because I hardly listen to any music. It's since I stopped making it, I've kind of gone into a weird space with it. So mm-hmm. we'll lure them in with, with a rare episode with a comedian <laughs> and then smack them around the face with, no, this is a musician episode. You yeah. didn't even see it coming. This and is... then we, we all know you're about to ask me about acting. So then you really get to have your cake and eat it at the end. <laughs> Fucking get them. <laughs> Fucking get them. Well, let's, let's just. Br- I briefly do this. Oh, before I get to acting, actually, I said I would I like to talk about things that you've not had to talk about a million times, and you've had to talk a million times about leaving s- social media, but mm. something came up in our conversation then, and it okay. made me wonder if you missed that, because oh, like I'm off social media at the moment, partly inspired by yourself. It took me a good few years to take that inspiration, but you and Quelle Chris tweeted about each other on the same day, and mm. you became f- friends. I've, yes. I've got numerous things like that. The reason I know... N- I'm friends with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg is because they tweeted about one of my songs when they were doing a six music takeover and I could say, oh, hey, I've got everything you've ever released on DVD and a few of them are signed copies that my brother went and got assigned. You know, there's these things like that that allow you to have these connections and these Mm. moments. Do you miss that at all? Or do you 
do you worry at all that you're that you are missing that that there are people mm-hmm. that you would connect with if you were still there but you're not again from mm-hmm. what i know of the positives it's had for you in in life in general it's worth it but do those things ever ever crop up i'm not ever worried about it i know for a fact that if i'd stayed on it i would have made connections with people that i don't currently know and that could have led to stuff so that definitely would have happened I don't think it's like a question of it might have. I think I would have connected with more creative people that I'm a fan of and that could have led to collaboration or friendships or whatever. But I'm fine with that not happening. And I'm fine with it like, because just for, you know, just in general, I just feel better. So great. Yeah. And you don't have to be friends with everyone you admire. That's a big thing I've had to learn. Again, initially it was, it's that inadequacy thing. Mm-hmm. Of wanting them to like me and wanting them to to tell me I'm good and go oh because I like you too but again there is that yeah. realization it's like no I'm allowed to just be a fa- a fan privately as well it don't, yeah. I don't have to seek validation from and you don't miss it when you when it hasn't happened you know, so it's like yeah. I don't know you yeah. know I don't know who those people would have been or what you yeah know, I, so it's fine and you know i'm still happy with everything at the moment you know uh yeah. it's it's all it's all good and I'm, I'm enjoying all the different projects i'm doing i've got enough friends that have got nish and ed that's all i need <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly it's perfect well I, I, i'm not gonna i don't want to talk ages about acting as mm. much as i've joked about it but i do want to ask a few questions the first question is ghostbusters <laughs> yeah that's just a question what yeah. the fuck that's yeah. madness right yeah it's insane I saw a news story about it and I was just yeah. like, I don't know where to start with this. I don't know, yeah. I don't know where to start. It's mad. I, I, I kind of, I, I, I didn't expect to get it. I've, I've auditioned a lot over the years for different things and uh, the only actual bits of acting I've done are when I haven't had to audition. You know, I've done very few bits of acting. One was on Josh Widdicombe's sitcom, where I'm obviously Josh's friend. And I did have to audition for that, but I think it was a formality. So I was basically <laughs> playing myself. And then the much joked about John the Mouse role in Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Classic. I was replacing someone, you know, John Mulaney last last minute. And yeah. so I didn't have to audition for that. It was just like, right, just come in, do two days. Mate, as soon as as soon as I saw the announcement of you in Ghostbusters, I was scrolling through to see who's been put into rehab. And, <laughs> and I couldn't find anyone. So it's just legit. You've, yeah. you've done this. <laughs> I somehow got it. But like the, the auditions, I was like, I felt really good about myself tape. And then I went and did it, did it in person, and I thought, no, I definitely have not got that. There's no way. I, like, I just right. absolutely stacked that audition. There's no way I've got that. And got it. And then you're like, oh, shit, now I need to be good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need to be able to do this now. And uh, we're like a couple of scenes in at the minute. We've filmed about two scenes, and I feel comfortable now, and it's really fun. First, you know, starting off, I was so nervous. But it's like such a great group of people. It's and, so uh, exciting, man. And it's such a cool yeah. project as well. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Like how, <laughs> I'm going to give some more context for this, but how serious are you about acting, James? Because <laughs> yeah. I do find it really interesting because like acting is a weird thing that so much work can go in out of the public eye. Like mm-hmm. acting has been my main focus for six or seven years now. And I get in things, things happen, but what people don't see is all the self-tapes, all the, mm-hmm. how much of a priority is to me. And when I am in things, like I just, I had a costume fit in the other day and the costume person was like, all oh, right, have you got this because of your music and that? And I was like, mm. no, I got it because I auditioned and because yeah. I've been working really hard to try and, but you do audition, you can audition for hundreds of things and not get them. 
And then, as you said, you could just just get offered something. But I think podcasts are a wonderful distraction. That if Mm -hmm. people are constantly seeing a podcast coming out, they assume that that's your main focus. Like they won't have known you've been working on an album for several years. They're going to assume, oh, but he's on a podcast every week. That must be his full-time job. And it's not. So, yeah, I guess... And there's no right or, or wrong answer. It's just... It surprised me to see this role and it made me think, well, you don't know all the things I'm auditioning for and trying hard to get at. So yeah, how much of it is a, or how much of a focus is it for you? Yeah, well, I've been trying for a while to get into it and just always feeling like, I don't know how you felt in the early days of uh, trying to get roles, but I definitely started to feel like as a comedian who is already known by my own name, Mm -hmm. And a very particular, like like you were saying earlier about contacting people about the album, and they've yeah, already yeah, got yeah, a yeah. preconceived that's who that guy is. Yeah. So I did feel like right a lot of if I look at a lot of stand up comedians and how they've got into acting, a lot yeah. of the time their early roles are playing their stage persona or doing what they're mm-hmm. known for, and then they get to get a few more roles and really get their teeth stuck into things. So I did feel like I'm only going to get a role in something if it's someone who wants me to do that, who is like, yeah. just come on and and, and be you. Be yeah. James Acast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very lucky with this, you know, because I, like I say, I audition for a lot of things, sometimes roles that are completely not me, mm-hmm. you know, and people will know, will understand why I was asked to audition for the role of Steve Davis in the Hurricane Higgins <laughs> biopic. <laughs> but, but like, you know, playing Steve Davis... Is like, well, I mean, I'm not going to get this. They're going to give this to an actor who can do a Romford accent and properly act like Steve Davis. And I'm, I can't do accents. That's a, that's a you know, a, a running Mate, joke on my podcast. When I was watching the Gods of Snooker documentary, all I could think about was <laughs> yeah. you playing Steve Davis because yeah. young Steve Davis is like, this is, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I always remember <laughs> when the Doors film came out years ago. 20 minutes into the Doors film, I can't remember Jim Morrison anymore. I can only see Val Kilmer because he's become Jim Morrison. And that was it. Watching that, I couldn't see Steve Davis anymore. All I could see was was James Acaster in a nice little little waistcoat. But yeah, Yeah. you can't do accents, then that's... Can't do accents, you're (laughs) fucked. So like, I I always knew like, it's going to have to be something that I do my own accent for. And I was just lucky that the people who are making this um, uh, Ghostbusters film, uh, the director, Gil Keenan, and the producer, Jason Reitman, have both seen all of my stand-up shows. They both listen to Off Menu a lot. They kind of know, right. okay, that's who this guy is. And so they could picture me in the role, which I think is just like half the battle really, is that they, yeah. they, they go, okay, this person could do this because we've seen him in all this. In my head, I, I'm doing the scene and I'm, I'm like playing it more seriously and whatever. And then I watch it back on the monitor and go, no, no, I'm still <laughs> still doing, like still James Acaster uh, in Ghostbusters. But like, um, But that's great. That's kind of like a comfortable place for me to start. I'm really enjoying like the different challenges in each scene and, and trying to learn how to play that character in a bunch of different scenarios, situations alongside other people and their characters that they've built as well. So it's something that I really want to do. I really enjoy doing, but I really enjoy, like you were saying at the start of the podcast, I, I just feel so lucky to have a job where I get to do a bunch of different things. Mm. And, um, and I've managed to um, get in a position where I can d- make an album I can act in something, I can do a stand-up tour, I can do a podcast with Ed. Like, so, you know, I'm I'm just delighted at the minute to be in that situation where that might become something that I do more of. But if I'm unlucky and I don't get to do more of it, I'm pretty happy with just being in a Ghostbusters film. <laughs> 
But if I'm honest, it's pretty amazing. But no, it. I was, I was looking. P- people who are listening won't know, but I was looking around the room a lot then because yeah. Stephen Graham gave me a book a while back about acting, and it's really good. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find it and I'll send you the details. Mm. And one of the most interesting bits in it was reading, and it's something that I completely did. This amazing old stage actress talking about how n- no actors think acting is putting on an accent and doing a big transformation. And it can be. Yeah. But she had done all these stage plays and someone said, I've come and seen you on, in different productions for years and I love that you just play yourself. And she was like, right, well, that's bizarre because I'm playing completely <laughs> different characters. And mm-hmm. if I was playing myself, it wouldn't w- w- work. So she talks about yeah. the true artistry of once you get over that self-doubt, thinking, well, well, if I'm not putting on an accent or doing a hunch, yeah, yeah. I'm not really acting, I'm just being me. When you yeah. can get comfortable with, no, you can be you, but find the nuances and find the character and find the differences, it's amazing. And that was an amazing one for me because I was exactly the same, Joe. I, yeah. I still get buzzed. Like, I did a show called De- Debris a little while ago and I was so excited to have a good role in something that is set within the last... 20 years because mm-hmm. everything else I've got a medieval face yeah. everything else I was getting for ages is yeah. fucking old time either knights and stuff like that or early 19 late 1800s because I've got that kind of face so the excitement of going right I can play something that's that feels different and as yeah. you were saying that it's not they want James Acaster to come and be James Acaster but mm-hmm. the beauty I found in that role was that because it's not medieval or anything I look like me I don't dress a million miles for me. He was a bad guy, so there's a lot of dark clothes. But the beauty I had in finding that character and feeling like a completely different person on set, Mm -hmm. even if the public might watch and go, oh, that's Pip. Yeah, yeah. That's Pip being a bit dark and moody. It's like, no, the beauty was all the nuances in there. So, yeah, it's good fun, man. And I'm excited. I do hope there is a lot ahead for you because, yeah, I think you could do loads of things. A really good bit of advice I got early on, because I, again, I started off feeling really inadequate in acting because I didn't go to drama school and mm-hmm. I've not done this and I've not done that. And I think it was Simon Pegg that said to me, you know when you do that angry song on stage, you know you're not really angry. Like, you know that's <laughs> acting. You know that's a character and all this. And it's like, obviously it's not everything. There's still a lot yeah. to learn and a lot to do. But you know when you're being James Acaster... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're acting most of the time. Like the James yeah. that I that, that we'll talk to, there's there's similarities, but James on off menu is different to the James that I'm talking to now. So there are these nuances in there, and I think there's loads. But speaking of which, the thing I want to end on is celebrity hunted. Because yeah. I tuned in and you know I'm a fan of you and Ed as humans, uh-huh. but I'm also a big fan of you both as comedians. So yeah. I tuned in wanting you to win. Within five mon- m- m- minutes, I wanted both of you cunts to get caught immediately um, and humiliated because you're absolutely insufferable. How was that to be part of? Because that's the kind of gig. It's that, that sits there with a taskmaster and things like that yeah. for me that it feels like you'll get asked to do and you're like, fucking yeah, yeah. let's go well, and do that. Ed and I get asked to do a lot of stuff together and I usually say no. And he was astounded that I said that this was the one I said yes to. And he was yeah. like, are you joking? This will be like horrible. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I know that it will be stressful and yeah. I know that they will make it stressful for us. But I think if I know that going in, it's fine. And actually, it was fine. Like, uh, it was like, I kind of knew they're going to stress us out, but just enjoy it. And I really enjoyed it. It was a week 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know when this goes out, but yeah, I guess no spoilers. We we had a lot of ideas of like just messing about things we wanted to do that were just mm-hmm. stupid, and that who cares if we get caught? Let's just go for the the joke mm-hmm. and do that. And if we get caught, so be it. It's worth it. And we got away with a lot more than we were thinking because, like, the reality of it is, is that they've got five teams to catch, so they're not always focusing on you. Yeah. So you you just get lucky that when you were stopping at you know a restaurant to have a meal, they were focusing on someone else and you were okay or whatever. I mean, we knew that when, as soon as we broke out the prison, they weren't going to catch us straight away because it's the charity version. So that we had a bit of a grace period at the beginning. So that's why we went and had a mission star meal immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we knew that after that, everything, everyone was fair game. But we were still choosing to just joke. But the, the, the mad thing with it is, well, there's a couple of mad things with it, actually. So, I mean, before I say any of it, I had a really good time. We both had a really good time. And mm. it was a really great experience. One of the things is like, you do so much. We did so much stuff every day. And we've seen the cuts of all of our stuff that's going in. Yeah. Like, it's minuscule compared to the amount of places we travelled to. Yeah. Like, we had a day where we went, we woke up in Birmingham and we went to Chesterfield, then uh, walked to, ba- then went to Bakewell. Then from there, we walked along and ended up in Buxton. I mean, there's a lot of good restaurants to try and cover, so I, I get it. <laughs> we, had, we had full bake. Well, we only, we only went to Bakewell because I wanted a Bakewell tart. Yeah, we, 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 were be, we were being driven by someone to, to to Sheffield originally, and we went past the sign in Chesterfield for Bakewell. And I went, <laughs> I went, ooh, and Ed went, "You just seen the Bakewell sign, and you want a Bakewell tart?" Like so he knew immediately. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah," or Bakewell pudding actually. So we went to Bakewell just to get a Bakewell pudding. Getting the bus from Chesterfield to Bakewell, Bakewell pudding. Walked along this path for a while, this this uh, famous walk. I can't remember what it's called. A hike. Then got a taxi over to Buxton. Stayed in Buxton for a bit. Got spooked and then went to Sheffield. None of that day is in any of the edits. <laughs> like that, that, that's like a whole bunch of places we went to, traveling in a load of different ways. None of it's made it in. <laughs> We had a whole day. I love it. It was just for you two, mate. Appreciate appreciate the time that you two had. We had a whole day in Kettering. Uh, None of that's going in. But the other mad thing about it, so one one thing that was mad is how much you end up doing that doesn't end up in it. So it actually looks like you haven't had, if anything, we had a bigger adventure than what is on the screen. Because as you say, there's five people. So whilst they can't focus on you to find you, they can't focus on you on the the show either. It's not a one person per episode. They have to focus on just telling the story. So, yeah. so you actually end up having a bigger adventure than it's shown on TV. Also, the main thing, when you tell everyone you're doing Celebrity Hunted, every the first question everybody asks is how much of it is fake? Mm-hmm. Um, because they watch it and it comes across like this isn't like, this isn't legit. Yeah. So the really interesting thing I'll say about that is that for us anyway, as you know, I don't know what the hunters are up to, but on our end, none of it is fake. On mm. our end, we're, we're doing it legitimately. We're going on the run. Everything that happens, happens organically for us. Yeah. Uh, for me and Ed. But sometimes something happens organically and they go, oh, can you do that again, please? So, <laughs> you know, yeah. you naturally run up to a member of the public and ask them for directions and they tell you where to go and then you go there. And the cameraman goes, oh, sorry, I was like, I didn't catch up with you in time and we we didn't get the audio. Can you do it again? So you have to do it again with a... Me- you have to recreate that with this member of the public who definitely can't act. And it looks fake. And that ends <laughs> yeah. up in the edit and everyone goes, right. bullshit. Looks, yeah. And also with our one, quite a few things... Because there's, there's quite a few big swings. Mm. 
that people are just like, no way that like like we we decided to go to the house of another fugitive or of the of the Speakmans who were also on the run. Mm-hmm. And when we were in the prison with them before we went on the run, yeah, we were chatting to them. We had a meal the night before going on the run with them, and we were like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna try and um, we, we're gonna try and get to Manchester because there's a studio up there that we can use. And we can make it look like Ed's doing his radio show from Manchester, uh, from London, but we're really, we're in Manchester. And they were like, oh, we live near Manchester. You should stay at our house. That'd be funny. And we're like, oh, yeah, all right. And the production don't know about this. They've not been told. The, you know, the, um, the hunters don't know. But we're just like, oh, we'll do it. And they, 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 they said, okay, well, you know, we started our phones at that point because mm-hmm. we weren't on the run yet. So they phoned their daughter and went like, yeah, yeah, put up Ed and James. They're going to come at some point. They, they told us, you know, they said basically everyone knows where we live in, in this in this village. So like, all you need to do is get there and ask people. Oh, and yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. knows our house. So we just did that, and it looks completely like, oh, how convenient. Yeah, you know, oh, they're staying. Uh, this is all staged. Da, da, da. Oh, the edit made you look like fucking idiots, mate. Because because yes. there's this whole journey to get there, and yeah. then in the edit, you're there for five minutes and go, we probably shouldn't. Be here, should we? No, they're they're gonna have, they're gonna be looking at the cameras, right? Let's go. And it was like we've just been building up to them coming. Yeah. Well, we didn't know that they had security cameras on their house. <laughs> yeah. We were like, we we're like, we thought it was a normal house, not yeah. like some weird converted pub that had security cameras all over it. Yeah. But like, but also on the way there, yeah, we 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 wanted to get in uh, inconspicuous, and we wanted to like go in in a in a plumber's van. So we just went in a church to ask them, and they genuinely were like. We've got these stupid costumes of like a, a rabbit and a cat if you want to wear these. And obviously because we're comics, we just want it to be funny. We said yes. But as we were doing it, we are like, there's no way this reads as genuine. Yeah. If people see this, they're going to think it. that yeah. it was already arranged, that we, it was going to be funny, a little comedy bit. We walk in the church. Even as we walked into the church, these two blokes are just standing there like they're waiting for us, like a computer game kind of character. And, and it's like... <laughs> But it all happened organically. But we were like, no one's going to believe any of this. They're all going to think it's fake. So we just have to accept that, really. That, like, it's going to go out. People are going to think it's all fake. But really, just what happens is sometimes they ask you to retake certain lines because they didn't get it on camera, and then it looks fake. Also, another thing that I'll say (laughs) is that there are rules to the show, and I think, personally, they should let the public in on those rules. Right. Because they don't let the public in on them. And, right, interesting. And so everyone who watches it goes, why aren't they just sitting in an attic for two weeks? Right, you have to do certain things and move yeah. a certain amount and things like that. That makes and, sense. Because the answer to why you don't sit in an attic for two because that's a boring TV. TV. Yeah. No one's going to watch that. If five teams are all sitting in one room each and it's whoever gets found first. But like, you know, they tell you, you've got to move, you know, what, what, what once a day, you've got to make sure you, you go to a different place. You know, sometimes, that you know, I think there were some things in the rules like you, you have to use your phone at least once, you know, you've got to do this. And I, I actually think those rules are great because it makes it more of a sh- game show. And yeah. if the public were in on those rules, they could think about how would I play Hunted? But Again, instead, yeah. they watch it and go, well, these guys are fucking idiots. Everyone you talk to about it would be like, I'd be amazing on that. I'd get a tent hiding yeah. in the woods. Like, yeah. No, you'd be amazing at being on the run. You wouldn't yeah. be amazing on Hunted because that's yeah. that'd be a terrible episode. <laughs> yeah. Day five, he's in the woods still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, everyone is still in the woods, all five teams. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I think they need to let the audience, let the public in on yeah. what the rules are because the rules, I think, are quite good and quite reasonable and make it a game. 
Yeah, and um, I, agree. I don't think you have to sense. sell it to them that we're genuinely on the run because they, they, they can tell we're not. They're cleverer. The public are cleverer than the people and the, some telly people think. And yeah. they can tell some, they're smelling a rat. And I think they yeah. deserve to know, actually, we were told that we had to uh, go somewhere each day and we were told that we had to use our phones at least once. And we were told that, uh, you know, if, if we can do a day's work at some point, then that'll be good. You know, like, so, like, yeah. I, I think... Um, I think those things are quite are quite good to them. Yeah, completely, and it makes it all more more believable. Yeah. And Nikesh Patel is another guy that I've had on the podcast, and I've got a lot of love for. Yeah. But I was watching him him walk up to some guys in a van and say, "Look, this is going to sound weird, but I'm on the run. Can you help me?" So I'm sitting thinking, "It's a TV show. It's fine. Yeah. It's not you like." <laughs> yeah. You got a camera crew with you. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you can just explain that it's yeah. is rather than I'm, I'm on the run. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen you in a TV show on Amazon. Um, well, beautiful, mate. It's been a pleasure as ever. We didn't talk an awful lot about Off Menu, but obviously mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest podcasts out there. So as the first ever guest, I just want to quickly say yeah. you're welcome. We're great. <laughs> but yeah, um, is there anything else you want to mention? Or yeah, just the album, right? Man, yeah. I mean, the album is like, you know... The thing at the minute that like is it, that I'm I'm putting out into the world, and that I just want it, I just wanted to find the right audience. I wanted to find the people who will connect with it and uh, and benefit from from it. And like yeah, you know, so like yeah, hopefully anyone who's intrigued by it uh, will will give it a go. And anyone who's like me and you, and has just gone, it's a comedian. I'm not listening to that. Hey, no hard feelings. I get it. And I, I, I and it. also I made my peace with it. I can't control that. <laughs> That's just oh, going to have to happen. Uh, what's the name of the album? So it's called Party Gator Purgatory. That's what I thought, but I'm never sure when I get preview things if it's the final yeah. name, if it's an initial yeah, name. Yeah. I liked it, but I wasn't sure. But yeah, Party, Party Gator, Gator Purgatory. Purgatory. By Temps. By Temps. And uh, I've done all the artwork. Uh, there's a bunch of music videos on YouTube. There's going to be a music video for every song event that we release in one a month. And uh, I'm every bit as proud of this as I am you know, of anything I've done. Like it's proper, it's one of my favourite projects I've ever been involved with. So like, um, yeah, I hope that it finds the the right crowd. And and you get to enjoy it, mate. Like I get yeah. love every now and then for helping a few different podcasts get off the ground. Not yours. I did, <laughs> I'm joking about having any involvement in that. Well, but you're there's, joking, there's, but at the same there's, time. But there's a few different podcasts I've kind of helped get off the ground and I get love for it. It's like, I listen to it. Yeah. it's not been selfless this is purely yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is for yeah. my entertainment and that's the beauty of this you've got to work hard on this and you can't get up each morning and watch one of of your Netflix specials no. it'd be weird yeah. um, whereas this record you've brought together all these acts that you adore and you can yeah truly revel in it it's a beautiful thing man yeah when, when, I, when I get to like put the vinyl on for the first time um, which will be you know Sometime within the next month, I think I, I get them in a couple of weeks uh, before mm. they get released proper. It's just going to be fucking great to like hold it, look at it, and like you know, they're, it's proper like it's really colourful vinyl, colourful artwork. Again, that I've like drawn myself and designed myself, and uh, I get to like you know, probably play them on my turntables and listen to to this album. It's going to be a really special moment. I've wanted to do this you know since I was seven, so it's great. I love it, and I know. Record shops are kind of a thing of the past, but mm-hmm. really make a thing out of the day you go and look at it in a record shop because that's yeah. a, again. I always remember we were on tour in Ireland when our first album Angles came out, and in Ireland albums come out 
I think on the Sunday rather than on no on the the Saturday rather than on the Monday or something. So we didn't expect it to. We were building up to the album coming out next week, and we walked into an HMV and it was on the front stack thing, and right. it was like in Galway, and it was like fuck, yeah, that's that's our record. That's yeah, that's there. And I, yeah. I've only really had that with books because like obviously yeah. my, my specials they're just streaming straight onto yeah. So you never get that. And with books, I've kind of like been able to you know have that with my books a little bit but you know as much as I've liked books for a long time I've liked albums for even longer so this is going to be put yourself together a playlist of some of the albums in your book that are some of your favourite albums and when the record comes out just walk around a few record stores and just have a look just have good music (laughs) on that you adore and have a look and go I've got a record in there now I love it I love it I'm buzzing for you man I'll I'll shut up now but I'm very excited um Thank you for coming on, James. It's been a pleasure as ever. Thanks for having me, Pip. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I lured you in a bit there and then we talked mainly about music, but it was good, wasn't it? You have to admit, you have to admit, I maybe didn't bring you in with full transparency, but you're grateful you stuck around. Admit it. Admit it to me now. Admit it. Um, Yeah, that was James Acaster. I hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.